Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and care bear with fangs, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and hunk of burning something or other, Noelle LaCroix. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about Halloween, the sixth episode of season two. Halloween aired on October 27th, 1997 and was written by Carl Ellsworth and directed by Bruce Seth Green. This is Carl Ellsworth's only writing credit for Buffy, which is kind of sad. I liked Halloween. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I think the writing is is pretty good on Halloween. So the writing's pretty good. The narrative is a little slow moving, but it was pretty good. Yeah. So I mean, I'm glad this guy came in to go ahead and do an episode for us. Yeah, and most recently, I guess, wrote the Goosebumps movie with Jack Black, which was not I mean, not good, but better than I expected. <laughs> So sure. There you go. All right. If this is your first episode of Still Pretty, we are so glad you're here. But you should know that at any point in the show, we may talk about anything that happens in any of the seven seasons. So spoilers are everywhere. So brush up on your ambush tactics and vampire beheading techniques. And let's go on patrol. In Halloween, Buffy spends the night taking out a vampire in a pumpkin patch and shows up late for her date with Angel at the Bronze. Cordelia tries to move in on Angel, but Angel only has eyes for Buffy. Still, Buffy's frustrated with her life. But who am I kidding? Dates are things normal girls have. Girls who have time to think about nail polish and facials. You know what I think about? Ambush tactics. Beheading. Not exactly the stuff dreams are made of. Buffy, Willow, and Xander are forced to volunteer to take kids trick-or-treating, and costumes are mandatory. Buffy and Willow talk about how little Buffy knows about Angel and how frustrating it is to not have years of social media to pour through. Let me tell you, Buff, that's a mixed bag. Anyway, they break into Giles' office and get at the Watcher Diaries, which tell the tale of days past and the kind of women Angel knew. Must have been wonderful to put on some fantabulous gown and Go to a bar like a princess and have horses and servants and yet more gowns. Yeah. Still, I think I prefer being able to vote. At the costume shop, Buffy tries to get Willow to sex it up at Halloween because it's the only time women can be sexy without repercussions and fuck the patriarchy. We'll talk about that later. But Willow <laughs> isn't comfortable with the idea. Xander chooses a soldier costume and Buffy selects an old-timey dress. Meanwhile, Spike is holed up in the warehouse watching videos of Buffy fighting to prepare himself to take her down. <laughs> She's tricky. Baby likes to play. You see that? Well, she stakes him with that thing. That's what you call resourceful. Rewind it again. Later at Buffy's, the girls are getting ready. Buffy is an 18th century aristocrat and Willow as a sexy and uncomfortable version of Willow. Willow grabs a sheet, cuts out eye holes, and opts to ghost things up instead. At school, they are assigned kids to take trick-or-treating and Cordelia talks to Oz, which isn't really narratively significant. I just wanted to use this clip. Hey, Cordelia. She's like a great big cat. In a dark room, the costume shop owner performs a chaos ritual and things are about to get weird. Outside, everyone turns into their costumes. Little kids become demons. Xander becomes an actual soldier. And Buffy becomes an 18th century girl who doesn't know she's a slayer. The only one who is still a version of herself is Willow. And she's got her work cut out for her trying to convince Xander and Buffy of what's actually going on. Buffy, are you hurt? Buffy. 
she's not Buffy. Who's Buffy? Oh, this is fun. Cordelia, who got her outfit from a different shop, is fine, and Xander rescues her from a wolf boy chasing her outside Buffy's house. Willow tells them to stay holed up while she goes to get Giles. She and Giles figure out that it's about the costumes that they got at a place called Ethan's. At Buffy's house, Angel shows up, and when he turns into a vampire while fighting a vampire that somehow snuck into the house, Buffy screams and runs. Do you hear that, my friend? Somewhere out here is the tenderest meat you've ever tasted. And all we have to do is find her first. Willow and Giles rush to the costume shop and find Ethan. Giles sends Willow to find the others. Larry, a kid from school dressed as a pirate, attacks Buffy in an alleyway, but Cordelia and Angel find her and rescue her. Meanwhile, Spike is trolling the streets with a gang of child demons looking for Buffy. Back at the shop, Giles confronts Ethan. They knew each other back in the day, and it turns out Giles has a past, y'all. It's quite a little act you've got going here, old man. It's no act. It's who I am. Who you are. The Watcher. Sniveling, tweed-clad guardian of the Slayer and her kin. I think not. I know who you are, Rupert, and I know what you're capable of. But they don't, do they? They have no idea where you come from. As the kids hole up in an abandoned warehouse fighting off demons, Giles beats up Ethan to get the information on how to break the spell. Spike finds all of them in the warehouse and goes after Buffy, who is crying and scared with no idea what's going on. Finally, Ethan tells Giles that he can break the spell by busting up the statue. Just as Spike's about to bite Buffy, his crew of demons turns into kids. Buffy becomes Buffy again, and she beats him up. Spike runs away, Ethan disappears from town, and as Oz drives home in his van, he sees Willow restored to life, but wearing her sexy garb as she crosses the street in front of him. Who's that girl? Halloween! Okay, so Noelle, tell me, what'd you think about Halloween? I really, really like this episode. It's a fun episode. so much. Well, and I always love a good, like, People don't know who they are. Oh, right. Episode mm-hmm. that always works for me. Yeah. I really, really love seeing who people are when they're not themselves, I think. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like there's there's I sort just, of a bizarre yeah. world element to it, you know, where everything is not the way that it ordinarily is. And I love bizarre world. Bizarre worlds are excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we advance some of the plots a little bit yeah in, you know even as we're doing this bizarro world thing with with uh buffy and angel get advanced willow gets to do all the things mm-hmm. which is just so wonderful um building slowly building the xander cordelia dynamic yes mm-hmm. we bring spike back mm-hmm. previously on buffy the vampire slayer like we have to remind ourselves of what's going on with spike like we're gonna forget we spike. spike i mean please right <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah. There was this vampire who came to Sunnydale. Yeah. But it's I really, I really, really enjoy it. And there's just so much to talk about. So I don't know. What do you think? What do you want to start with? Um, (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and start with like the most amazing thing for this whole episode, which I think we have to agree is Willow, right? Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I love everything about Willow in this episode. Like Mm -hmm. every single thing. Um, I love Willow trying so hard 
to mm-hmm. do the right thing. Yes. We know that, you know, we know that Buffy struggles with ideas of being a real girl, which is an idea that I still can't totally wrap my mind around, but I kind of want to devote an entire episode of the podcast to right? it because it's really, really crunchy and neat <laughs> and I just love it. Um, but Willow is definitely also at odds with who she thinks she should be and who she actually is. Mm-hmm. Um when Buffy and Willow are looking at the drawing of the the girl in the Watcher's Diaries, Willow is sitting there going, she's like a freak, a circus freak. Yeah. You know, like she's trying so hard to be a good friend to yeah. Buffy and say the right thing. Mm-hmm. And the look she gives Buffy of like, please tell me I'm being a supportive friend here. Right. Like I just, I love it so, so much. Um, you know, but then of course she says, you know, Buffy's fantasizing about what this life would be like. And Willow says, still, I think I prefer being able to vote. I know, which is one of my favorite things of all time. I love when she says that. It's so great. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, here they are sitting together and reflecting on identity. Yeah. And Willow zooms forward to yes. the future. You know, mm-hmm. she says, or I will, I will prefer it when I'm old enough. Yes. And mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Buffy is thinking, you know, kind of like a preschooler fantasizing about being a princess, you mm-hmm. know, gowns, balls, horses, more right. gowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I wonder if Buffy here is sort of grasping at a childhood that she's not allowed to have. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it, you know, because when you think about it, like Willow absolutely has it right. And we see this later when Buffy says, you know, I wasn't raised to understand things. I was raised to be pretty and marry, marry somebody, maybe a baron, right? Um, (laughs) That that what it is, is this, it's this kind of idealized space in which women objectify themselves so the men can stay busy doing other evil shit, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because objectifying women just takes so much goddamn time, right? Just get the women to do it to <laughs> themselves, you know? And yeah. so we have this this wonderful contrast because Buffy is idealizing all of the things that she doesn't get to do, but yet she gets to live every day in her power, you know, right. um, which is something that most women don't necessarily have. They don't have that power. They may have the ability to wear the pretty dresses and marry rich or whatever. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't give you access to power. Now, Willow is looking at her power, like the power that she has as a woman that they didn't have back then, which is the power to vote, you know, to have your voice yeah. heard, to, to say what you want in your representation, you know. And it's one of those things like voting is one of those things that people look at and they're like, ugh, you know, it's boring. It's not interesting, <laughs> whatever. But like, it's power. You know, so it's interesting because Buffy is empowered by this sacred duty calling and it's a it's a shitty empowerment. I mean, it's not something Mm -hmm. she had a choice in. It's not something that she would have chosen. Um, And so she is kind of fantasizing about all of the things that that power takes away from her. You know, the Mm -hmm. the wearing of the pretty dresses and the doing the normal girl things, you know, and not having to think about things too much, you know. Um, (laughs) And Willow is looking at all of that stuff and saying, no, I want the power, you know, and mm-hmm. I kind of love that reflection of the two of them, you know, next to each other. And it's a different kind of power that Will is talking about, but it's still about power. And it's about power that is often and has been, you know, historically until very, very recently denied to women, you know. Mm-hmm. So I kind of yeah. loved that whole thing. There was so much packed inside that tiny little interaction. I loved it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then Cordelia comes in. And of course, Cordelia is like the third yes. point on this really mm-hmm. interesting triangle of femininity that we have on the show at this point where she's, I mean, and she's standing there doing her makeup in the mm-hmm. mirror as she's talking to them about Angel. And Buffy and Willow both say, you know, he's a vampire. Yeah. And Cordelia, <laughs> I love Cordelia's reaction. <laughs> oh, sure. He's a vampire. Right. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Yeah. Tell me another one. <laughs> um, but I love, I love that we've got this kind of adult, adult femininity versus a more I want, I'm tempted to say childish, but I don't think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Except that then, of course, we reverse it with, right. you know, uh, Buffy says to Willow, you're never going to get noticed if you keep hiding. You're missing the whole point of Halloween. And Willow says, free candy. Right. <laughs> Which is just, like this very little kid approach to the holiday. She's not interested She's not interested in in what Buffy tells her is the point of Halloween, which is which getting is dressed an up. excuse to dress I, sexy. That I was... don't. I, I okay. I really. There are several. How do I want to express this? <laughs> <laughs> Can you feel the rage? Here it oh comes. yeah, no, I had it um, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there are several moments in this episode, and and several moments in the show as a whole, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. in this episode in particular, where I I look at it and I think. Wow, this really should feel dated. We yeah. should be watching this going, oh, yeah, well, that was 20 years ago and it shows. But this idea that women have not not only the opportunity, but the obligation yes. to be sexy on Halloween. I just that's still so, so right. pervasive and so effective. And what and she I, says ugh. is that you can be this is come as you aren't night. This is the night that you're allowed to be sexy without repercussions, right? Without somebody calling you a whore, without somebody calling you a slut, without somebody making a judgment about what kind of girl you are, that you're, this is the night that you're allowed to be sexy. You know, first of all, yeah. Willow has no interest in being sexy. Like, yeah, that's we'll not who that she is. I love it. She's not interested in it. But Buffy is like, you can do this. This is, you know, um, you know, like she's talking about you're never going to get noticed. Um, you can't hide, you know, like yeah. all of this stuff. And Willow has no interest in any of that. I mean, let's not forget. What was it? Two weeks ago, she went to the school dance at the at the bronze, you know, dressed up in Inuit garb, uh, which, by the yeah. way, we didn't. Call we didn't call out everything that was a problem in Inca Mummy Girl, but somebody was talking about the use of Eskimo and how it is uh, considered a slur and it is actually Inuit garb. And yes, absolutely. It's just that if we had called out everything specifically in Inca Mummy Girl, we never would have. We would still be recording now. Like so, um, <laughs> so we just want to say we recognize that that's not good. But anyway, so there she is. She's covered completely from head to toe. You know, in September yeah. in California, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. in Inuit oh, yeah. garb. Because that's the kind of thing that appeals to her. Like, I don't think it's that she wants necessarily to hide herself. I don't feel like she's shamed. But I think that she doesn't want to be like, to play this game, you know, this like, I have to be so sexy game. Yes, definitely. So I love, I love the scene with Buffy and Willow at Buffy's house. They're getting ready. Yeah. Willow, you know, Buffy says, 
Willow come out. You can't hide in there all night. And of course, Willow is in the closet, which I love. Right. Um, <laughs> and Willow comes out and she says, you know, Buffy's complimenting her on how, how great she looks. And she says, but this just isn't me. Uh-huh. And, you know, she's not, it's not, I don't look good. It's not, I don't, you know, it's not, um, she's not looking in the mirror critiquing her body. It's not right. about how she looks. It's about how she wants to present herself to the world. Mm-hmm. And then when Buffy says, you know, the doorbell rings, Buffy says, you ready? And she stammers, oh, okay, which right. I just love so much. Mm-hmm. And then Buffy says, I can't wait for the boys to go nonverbal when they see you. Mm-hmm. And that is the last straw for Willow. That yeah. is the point at which Willow decides, nope, she's going to wear the ghost costume right. instead mm-hmm. because she draws the line at being objectified. Like she's willing to humor Buffy, you know, fine, I'll put on the right. what, the costume of whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> sexy Willow. Um <laughs> A little preview of Vampire Willow, perhaps? Perhaps, yes. Yeah, well, her makeup is very similar, and I'm sure that mm-hmm. some of that is just, that's what, you right. know, that's what, what our makeup team decided mm-hmm. looked good on Allison Hannigan for TV. Right. Um, but it's, I love that that it's not, she's, she's going to humor Buffy. She's going right. to dress up. But once it's about the boys seeing her, and their reaction to her in this outfit, that is where she puts the ghost costume on. Yeah. Because she's not she's she's not gonna play into the this patriarchal ideal that if a woman is conventionally attractive, mm-hmm. as Willow and Allison Hannigan are, yes. she owes it to society, which is really men, to show that off. This idea that hiding, that covering herself is a bad thing, that she's somehow doing a disservice to herself and others, that her job is to be on display Mm -hmm. for others to see her. And she's just having none of it. Right, Um, right. And then what I really like, too, is that we have this whole process throughout this episode, you know, where she becomes, uh, she becomes the ghost, right? She's, she does, mm -hmm. she no longer has the sheet. So she is, you know, like dressed like this, Willow the ghost. She goes out, she um, fixes everything. She basically is, she's the only one who knows what's going on. She tells everybody mm-hmm. what to do. She goes and she gets Giles. She figures out that it was the costume shop with Giles. She sends Giles off to, you know, take care of Ethan Rain. Then she comes back and gathers everybody up and is running everything because Buffy doesn't know what's going on. And Xander thinks he's a soldier, you know? So yeah. <laughs> we've got all of these things pulled together that Willow is the one who is running the show. And then at the end, she comes back to life after the um, spell is broken right she Mm -hmm. wakes up on the porch she's in the ghost costume and then she pulls Mm -hmm. it off and puts it away and the thing is is that she's wearing what she's wearing and she's comfortable in her own skin not because it's about somebody seeing her you know Um, Mm -hmm. but it's about her just owning herself like she is she goes from disempowered to empowered and we show it in these two sides of this costume and the fact that the empowered part of her embraces the you know quote-unquote sexy willow thing right but it's not even that she's embracing the sexy willow thing she's just like you know what i don't need this i don't need this big huge sheet i don't need to be encumbered by this i'm fine if somebody sees me whatever and then of course at the end oz sees her 
right? She doesn't realize he's seeing her. But Oz says, who's that girl? But that's the exact same thing that he said when he saw her in the Inuit costume, covered up everything except her face. So the fact that Oz sees her, it's not the sexy thing. It's the willow thing. He sees willow. Like he doesn't care if she's wearing, if she's covered head to toe or if she's, you know, in the thing. And the only time that he doesn't see her is when she's got the ghost costume on and it's just eye holes, you know, like, I mean, and he, he doesn't realize that it's her. That's the only time that he's not completely entranced by her. And so I thought that that was kind of interesting because even though we have Willow in the end, abandoning the sheet, abandoning the thing that she hid under, um, and of course being noticed by a man, it is not an objectification, you know, and she is not embracing sexy. She's just saying, I don't need to, to hide under things. I can be whatever I want. Yeah, it's much more about being unencumbered Mm -hmm. and being – because the way that she walks, her stride Mm -hmm. across the street is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. She's just – she's, you know, standing tall and walking because she's solved everything. I mean, she's she's amazing. She ran the show. Yeah. Well, she's the – not only is she the only one who knows what's going on, Mm -hmm. but she figures out how to talk to Xander and Buffy when they're not themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, no guns. That's an order. Right. And then, you know, she's the one who figures out to ask Buffy what year it is. Right. She figures it out so quickly because she knows what language to use. She's using, you know, she's using the power of her intelligence, Mm -hmm. which is really – where her superpower is at this point to lead everyone and it's fantastic yeah and i have to i have to disagree with you i think oz is enchanted by her when she's wearing her ghost sheet at school really he didn't seem to notice her at all they do that little dance they try to pass each other they do the oh you go right and i go left and oh no and then he kind of looks like huh like that was intriguing like it's oh, not see, I moment, didn't notice but... the look back. I saw him just yeah. walk away and not notice her at all. Yeah, he like he plays it like. Oh, okay. okay, I'd love to but... be wrong about that. I'd love for yeah, Oz to I notice mean... her no matter what she's wearing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that moment takes a little bit. Like that moment didn't have to be there, right? That ta- mm-hmm. it adds nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just a cute little interaction between Willow and Oz because we're yeah. slowly, slowly building that. Mm-hmm. Um. But she's just, I mean, she's amazing. I yeah. love Willow in this episode. And I love her, her it's coming into her own power. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that she's wearing this, you know, sexy garb. She's just going right. to take care of what needs to be taken care of. I, I just, I adore it. The Willow stuff in this episode is friggin' fantastic. Now, the episode does have some problems narratively. Like, we've, we, first of all, we take forever to get it off the ground. Just for <laughs> yeah. ever. It takes like, we, we have this whole thing with, you know, finding out what kind of women, you know, Angel liked and breaking in with Giles and getting Willow to steal the Watcher Diaries. Then they're in the bathroom and they're talking to Cordelia. And then we open up. I mean, not to mention, we open up with Spike you know, videotaping Buffy, watching her fight, learning her style, right? So we set up Spike as the antagonist here. But he's not doing anything. He's just wandering around, happens to fall backwards into some chaos experience that actually allows him to come after Buffy, you know? Yeah. Um, 
but he's not the one who's actually driving, you know, the chaos. It's Ethan, right? And yeah. so, and we have Ethan's relationship with Giles, which is sort of touched on. Like we get the hint of it, you know, and we get a hint of Giles' dark past, which I love. I love Ripper. Yes. That's one of my favorite things. So, I mean, that's really great. But, um, but like the 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 antagonist focus is not clear. Mm-hmm. You know, had had Spike brought Ethan Rain in and asked him to do this, you know, like mm-hmm. this was his plan was to create chaos so that he could get to Buffy. We're good. Like that's it because then he is actually the active antagonist. But instead we've got kind of these two antagonists who are sort of floating around and neither one of them is actually actively trying to do anything. This is just stuff that's happening. So narratively Halloween is not on firm ground, but with yeah. the, the stuff that it's doing though within that space, like is actually really good. Like I like the Buffy and Angel stuff. Yeah. The Buffy and Angel stuff is, is, problematic for me I mean we know this if you listen to Still Pretty you know that I struggle (laughs) with Buffy and Angel but all right here's the thing (laughs) here's the thing with Buffy and Angel for me in this episode Angel and Buffy have this date and Buffy's late because she's slaying vampires and Uh I get how super weird this is your crush is a vampire and you kill vampires for not a living because she's not being paid but Mm -hmm. a higher calling yeah Um, Mm -hmm. But Buffy makes this about her failure as a girl. Right. So that when he picks the straw out of her hair, which is such a sweet moment. It is. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about, she makes it all about how she's not the kind of girl that Cordelia is. Never mind that Angel's not really interested in Cordelia. And this is where I really want. Yes. I Mm -hmm. really, really, really want Buffy and Angel to be the adults. Yes. Which is how we've been coding them and have a fucking conversation. Mm -hmm. And I realize that if they have a conversation, then there's no story, but they need to talk about their relationship and what they want and need. And (laughs) just, it, it seems like a weak conflict or like a false conflict or like not actually a conflict. Yeah, no, it's like, it's not a conflict between them. It's an internal conflict within Buffy, which is, I mean, fair enough, a conflict that she has all over the place. It's not just about Angel. It's about I want yeah. to live a normal life. I want to go to the dance. I want to go out with my friends. I want, you know, mm-hmm. she lies to Giles, right? You know, about going yeah. out so that he she can go to the frat party with Cordelia, you know. Um, so I mean, this is something that that Buffy deals with quite a bit. Um, the thing is that Angel clearly does not care about Cordelia. He is obviously clearly interested in Buffy. And I understand like Buffy, while she's coded as an adult, she is young. This is her first like real relationship. And having those discussions is difficult for people who've been married for 10 years. You know, like it's, it's tough when you're 16, (laughs) you know? Um, So, so like, I kind of understand it. It is an internal conflict. If it was a false conflict, if they played it as a conflict with, with Angel, which they do a little bit, she comes in, Angel's laughing with Cordelia, you know, like, and Angel doesn't laugh with anybody ever though angel doesn't laugh with anybody like so they do kind of play the false conflict there where she sees him with cordelia thinks cordelia is the kind of girl that he likes and you know and and that's not who she is because she has to be out slaying vampires but the thing is like it's not who she is because of circumstance not because of who she wants to be like she wants to be that girl 
She wants right. to be like a nicer version, but Cordelia, you know, she wants mm-hmm. that life. Um, but she doesn't have it because she has this, you know, like sacred duty that's constantly yeah. getting in the way of everything that she wants to be. So here she wants to be that girl and she is presuming that Angel wants her to be that girl, which of course Angel doesn't. And they do have a nice discussion about it, you know, at the end. Right. I do um, love that scene. I yeah. love that scene between them at the end. I think that that is just I, I love how it's played. Uh-huh, I love the yeah. physicality of it. This is a very physical episode, which I yeah. may talk about in a minute because dang. Mm-hmm. But the way she like sidles up to him and gets a little bit like she closes yeah. the space between them in this really natural but very um flirtatious sort of way that really works for me Mm -hmm. I guess what bothers me because I you know I get that she's 16 I get that this is her first relationship in this way and it's weird AF because of course Mm -hmm. vampire vampire slayer right Mm -hmm. but I think that just like Sunnydale sort of grows and shrinks according to what we need from the story in any Mm -hmm. particular week it mm-hmm. seems to me like at this point, Buffy and Angel's relationship has more or less friction mm-hmm. depending on what we want to do scene wise. That it's right. Like that there are times, it seems to me like there are times where they do have a more adult conversation. And then there are mm-hmm. times when the relationship is played in this very tropey, jealous high schooler sort of way. Right. I I don't know. It just it feels it feels odd. It feels inconsistent. I don't love it. I don't prefer it is what I'm saying. (laughs) No. And I think that that's fair because the thing is that that forget the adult child thing. Forget that she's 16. Forget that they are they're coded as adults, like all of that kind of stuff. It's an essential narrative thing. Right. Um, It's that when there is um, a conflict, we want it to be a real conflict. We want it to be based in reality and not false conflict. False conflict is, oh, look, here we have Angel who never smiles, who never laughs just smiling and laughing with Cordelia so that we can make Buffy insecure. But the fact is, that's not who Angel is. That's not what that relationship is. And it creates false conflict because false conflict is the is the conflict that if two people actually spoke to each other, there would be no conflict. If she was like, oh, OK, so I guess, you know, you're into Cordelia now. And he'd be like, nope. I was being polite, you know, I'm trying, like, even if he was just like, I'm trying to learn how to be polite, you know, because your friends are, you know, for that kind of thing. Like, I would have been completely fine with that. Um, Real conflict is conflict that exists even after they've had a conversation. And the thing is, you could still have this conflict, even if you'd had that conversation with Angel in the beginning, because this is about her. This is about the fact that Buffy doesn't want to be the Slayer. Buffy wants to be that kind of girl. And, you know, and if he wants the Slayer, you know, then does does he want somebody who doesn't want the things that she wants but can't have? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still genuinely that's the girl that I am. If you don't like Cordelia, you don't like me. Like that kind of thing I would have been totally interested in. Like that would have been a real great because that's an internal conflict for Buffy, you know, and that's the thing is that the internal conflict doesn't is is always strong because you you it's internal 
you're not, it's not a misunderstanding, you know, between an external conflict, it's based on a misunderstanding is, oh, I saw you laughing at Cordelia. I presume that you liked her. I didn't think I'd ask you about it or talk to you about it. I just made the presumption and now I'm pissed off. Right. Um, But when, when it's internal, like you are communicating with yourself, even though part of you may be in denial and whatever, but it's like the conversation is being had because it's all internal, you know? Um, So, so it usually ends up being a more genuine conflict. It's just often harder to express in a film environment in an external world, right? Um, But I like that we've got Buffy's internal conflict here. I like the way she and Angel have that conversation at the end. Um, You know, I I, I always enjoy, I mean, kind of how flummoxed Angel just is by all of it. He's just like, it's been... (laughs) It's been 150 years since I had a relationship. The one I had before that was kind of toxic because, you know, vampires. And, um, you know, it's just like this whole thing. Like He just he has almost less clue about what to do with this than Buffy. But he is always straightforward. Like Angel yes. is always you ask him a question, you're going to get an answer. He's going to talk about things. He's going to be honest about things. I love that about Angel. It's fantastic. Um, yes. So I do really enjoy the Buffy and Angel um, relationship here. Um, I don't particularly care for the the false conflict that we've got, you know, based on him laughing with Cordelia or whatever. But I like Buffy's internal conflict between the girl that she is, which she doesn't want, and the girl that she can't be, which is what she wants, you yeah. know? Um and it's it's kind of fun to see her work that out into some kind of solid identity, which, you know, as as we spoil, like, she's going to be struggling with that through the whole damn thing. Like, she yeah. struggles with that constantly. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's it's really fun. And I just I love Buffy and Angel. I, I you know, I look <laughs> I look past the 240 year, you know, or 224 yeah. year age difference, uh, yeah. because at a certain point, it just becomes ridiculous. Um but you know but there is something with these two that that is is fun and interesting and i i like him a lot you know um so it's it's i just enjoy it he's he's growing on me i mean don't get me wrong he's I he's like growing him. on me he's not spike but... i mean i love spike like spike to me is everything you know but what angel is like i don't care about what he's not like he and spike are completely different things but what he is i appreciate more and more every time i watch it and i mean part of that is because i'm doing still dead you know the podcast Mm -hmm. on the angel series um which launches for angel in the timeline a couple years after where we are right now um and so like i didn't appreciate angel i think as much before really diving into the TV series and kind of seeing who this character is. Um, I am liking him more on this run through Buffy than I ever have. That's fascinating to me. I love that watching Angel, watching him on his own series is informing how you see him on Buffy. I think that's so cool. He's got a strong philosophy. There's a strong philosophy behind Angel as a character and as a series. And, um, and I like that about him there. Here, at this point, you can see all of that kind of nascent in this character, but it's not fully formed yet. We haven't really seen it yet. While he's in Buffy, he's not at his best. He's at his best when he's in Angel. You know, that's his show. Mm-hmm. It's about him. While he's in Buffy, he kind of serves to be a source of conflict for Buffy, you know, and it's all about Buffy. And the the person that he really is actually does not belong in the Buffy space. Like, he's not when they bring him to Los Angeles and and launch his own show. um, He becomes truly 
angel and in that space like he he and Buffy don't belong together for a million reasons there's a million reasons beyond he's a vampire she's a slayer like they're just not right for each other and that's fine they're fun in this time they're fun in this space I like the romance of it but it's not the kind of thing this isn't where he belongs he belongs in the story that he gets when he's over an angel and that's when it's really really good so anyway this is not an angel podcast but go listen to still dead and watch angel because I think it's amazing I think the show is absolutely amazing there's great stuff there there's stuff that's that's a little difficult and sometimes it's hard to get over the hump of the first season um but once you get through it it's it's well first two seasons but once you get first. through it it's really good it's well worth it it's well trust worth it. me it'll be great it'll be great but anyway back to yes. this episode yes yes so, speaking, right. so you brought up spike yes and Spike is in this episode, but not really. I mean, you talked about this already, that he's, Mm -hmm. that we set him up as the antagonist and then he's not. Um, But he's, there's some really interesting stuff with Spike in this episode. Mm -hmm. At the end of School Hard, so Spike eliminates the anointed one and then he and Drusilla walk off away from the sunrise and he says, let's see what's on TV. Mm -hmm. And I love that as an ending to an episode or like mm-hmm. that vampires are participating in exactly what the audience has just participated in. You know, we're right. watching mm-hmm. a TV show brings us into this nice little self-reflective space for the show that it loves mm-hmm. to do. But here we have Spike sending one of his minions out to the pumpkin patch with a camcorder. Yes. And shout out to old technology. <laughs> I know, did you I squeal? It. I <laughs> did. I did. I mean, I'm, like, I'm more into like computer technology when I see old stuff like a dot matrix printer or one of those yes. you know, big old desk computers from like the late 90s. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was a VHS camcorder. I mean, that's some yeah. serious that's some serious technology. And then they've got these televisions in this warehouse, right, yes. that are all hooked up, you know, and there's like a television on every side so he can watch the same video feed on all the stuff. I mean, that was seriously high tech for the time. And it's seriously sinister. I mean, from the dude lurking in the shadows with the camera, taping this young woman who doesn't know she's being taped, Mm -hmm. and then to the warehouse with the, you know, the screen and they're watching and the glow of the TV. I'm like, that's another thing that I feel like this should feel dated. Yeah, and it doesn't. It really like, it doesn't. It really doesn't. It's um, very odd. Yeah. But I love this idea of Spike watching Buffy on television mm-hmm. in the same way that the audience is watching Buffy on television and yes. learning what she's capable of. And I mean, he's even he's even doing critical analysis. I mean, he's talking about yeah. how she's how tricky she is using mm-hmm. what's around her. And I just there are two things that I really love about Spike's relationship to television. I yes. mean, obviously, it's self-referential, <laughs> right? Um, you know, to the show as a whole, but it also connects vampires to technology in a way that yeah. we haven't seen before on Buffy, but is is really part of vampire narratives as a whole, right? Um, because vampires, despite being immortal and very much of the past, are contemporary in the way that they engage with the world and that includes technology so immortality gives them this opportunity to adapt to new technology and exist as modern creatures and i think that's part of the reason that vampires continue to hold so much appeal for Mm -hmm. audiences 
Yeah. Because they can, they can be simultaneously, you know, as old as right. you care to make them and very much of the moment. And mm -hmm. I, I think that Spike as a character exists in that space just so beautifully. He really does. But most vampires, I don't think do you know like um drusilla is very much of her century she wears those empire dresses you know mm -hmm. um she she has the look of somebody who died in like the 1800s you know mm -hmm. um spike is updated spike you know as as we'll see in the future like when when he has a flashback you know his style now is completely i mean he's peroxides his hair he wears leather he wears modern stuff spike dives into the world spike is living you know, um, he mm -hmm. is part of pop culture. We're going to see later that he loves soap operas and he loves passions. Right. You know, he's mm -hmm. always got a TV and whatever crypt he's in, you know, um, yeah. he really is part of the moment. But I think most other vampires and I mean, I don't know if you can if you have an example of somebody who does live in the moment, but most vampires live in the time that they they died, you know, um, and they still kind of seem to be reminiscent like early in this in the first season when Buffy spotted the vampire because he was still wearing stuff from the 70s right mm -hmm. you know they're like frozen in time they're like they're like those you know women my age who are still wearing blue eyeshadow from the time that they were in high school you know <laughs> that's um, coming back though people so. it, it, it might <laughs> i wasn't into it then i'm not going to be into it if it comes back i have never been about the stylish moment i always have my makeup has been the same and it's always very very neutral and very simple and not at all you know a trendy ever um but but I mean, I do find it kind of interesting that Spike almost seems to be um, to be the opposite of all the other vampires. All the other vampires seem very much stuck in the time that they died, you know, um, whereas Spike really moves with whatever's happening. He lives. He is of the moment. And I mm -hmm. like that because that's how he is in his fighting style. That's how he is in everything. Like he doesn't think things through. He lives yeah. in whatever he wants to do in the moment, right? School hard. Sorry, couldn't wait. Couldn't wait yeah. for the night of St. Vigius. I decided to come and attack you now because he lives very much in the moment. But I also love when he's watching Buffy. Like, you know, I, I see him falling in love with her, like from the beginning. She's tricky. Baby likes to play. You see that? The way she stakes him with that thing? That's what's called resourceful. Like, he respects her. He loves watching her. He he is is he respects her as a professional, you know? Yes. And I kind of yeah. love that. Yeah. I do love him watching her as a a sort of he I mean it's like on the line yeah. of male gazy and creepy and like professional colleague sort of relationship. Like I don't think I, it's male gazy though. Like he He's falling in love with her in a way that is not about how beautiful she is. And it's not about like, it's about who she is. It's what he's talking about when he's talking about her is not, oh, look at those boobs bouncing as she beats that guy up. Like, there's none of that. There's none of that. Like, look how pretty she is. None of that. What does he say? Look the way she stakes that guy. She's resourceful. Yeah. She's tricky. You know, yeah. he is admiring her for who she is. And the thing that I find interesting about that is that here we have this whole romance with Angel, right? Where Buffy is, Buffy is the slayer. He likes who she is, you know, but she doesn't like 
that part of herself. She wants to be the girl and she thinks that that's what he wants too. And it's this whole thing, right? You know, so, um, so the way that they see each other, they don't completely see each other for exactly everything that they both are because he's saying, I don't like girls like that. But if Buffy had a choice, she would be a girl like that. You know, if that was, she was allowed to be who she is. Meanwhile, here's Spike watching her and just seeing everything that she is, you know? Um, And I like that. Like, I just, I like the way that he likes her and it does not feel male gazy to me. It has never felt to me like Spike is looking at her as an object. Like, I think he has always seen her as a complete person. And the more he sees of who she is, and because she doesn't care about impressing him, she never puts on airs for him. She never pretends to be anything other than she is for him. So he gets to see her exactly as she is. And I like that. Yeah. I think for me, it's the creepy factor is the surveillance aspect yeah. and the the spying and the way right. that her her job in in Spike's relationship to her at this point is to be observed by him yes that he is watching she doesn't know he's watching I think that that is where I don't think it's it's the male gaze of she is there to be sexually appealing to him because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's what it is at all but i do think that she turns him on in a way that other people other vampires don't that she's yes. mm-hmm. it's not it's not a sexual turn on yet it's but it is a turn on and i think that's what i'm responding yeah to. no i i get that i get that i think i think you definitely got a point but um but i don't know like there's something about the way like the the surveillance I think is absolutely creepy that's not okay also he's a vampire he's evil he's supposed to be evil so all right, right. you know like totally. it's, it's yes it's wrong yes. but it's it's okay you know what I'm saying like but it's uh, but totally. it's okay within the context of the story because he's a bad guy now if it was totally. Xander who was watching her we were pretending that that was okay right no but because right. he's evil and he's supposed to be evil and he's doing a bad thing then all right you know um yeah. but uh but yeah no, I, I, Spike is fascinating me his relationship relationship to Buffy is fascinating me from the very beginning. Yeah. And now I'm seeing all of these things as we're going through it again, you know, yeah. um, which are so much fun to watch. You it's know, it's really nuanced. Such a good time. Right out it of the really gate. It really is. Cool. It's very, very cool. I love badass Giles too. Oh my God. Giles is How so wonderful. Cool is that? Giles has a dark past. I love it. I love that he's got a dark past. I love that whole interaction with Ethan, you know, where Ethan's calling him out on it. I mean, it is just so fantastic. He's like, I know who you are, Rupert, and I know what you're capable of, but they don't, do they? Yeah. And, oh, and then when he's beaten hell out of (laughs) Ethan and like... Getting the information out of him. Now, I'm not a fan of torturing people for information because, as we know, it is not effective. Um, and, and that's it's kind of weird because this is the kind of thing that in storytelling, I didn't really mind as much until reality, um, mm-hmm. you know, became and, and seeing Xander with a military grade automatic rifle around children yeah. didn't bother yeah. me. Years and years ago, but now, like yeah. at the time, it was such a ridiculous idea that it wasn't upsetting. But now, because this is our reality, 
that people are bringing guns like that into schools, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's like, it's so disturbing to see that. But like, I don't even, it's one of these things where like, I don't even blame, you know, 1997 is like not being aware. Like it wasn't even on the radar that that wouldn't be a completely ridiculous circumstance. Right. You know, and it should still feel ridiculous. It should still feel ridiculous and unrealistic. And the fact that it doesn't is chilling. Is so disturbing. Is so disturbing. So, I mean, back to Giles, you know, torturing Ethan for information. Like, it's it's one of those things that I don't particularly care for. um, But it wasn't until years later. And unfortunately, not too many years later when we started torturing people and trying to use those enhanced interrogation techniques. Um, you know, uh, as, as a country where, you know, we've, we've lost our soul at some point. So I'm hoping we get it back. Um, but you know, but I mean, even so like Giles is tough and he's like beaten up on Ethan, but he's not doing like too much damage. Although he does kick him in the ribs, which is kind of fun (laughs) while he's cleaning his glasses. Then he's like, Oh, yes. You know. Yes. Um, it's just it's oh, so casual. Okay. Just like a casual I kick know. to the gut. You know, I know. No big deal. I love it. I love that but Giles is very much in protector mode here. Like yes. he's mm-hmm. this is this is violence against Ethan in service of and protection yeah. of self and yeah. others. Um mm-hmm. I love that he says that Ethan accuses him of of faking it and he says yeah. It's not an act. It's who I am. Right. He really does care about these young people. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what we get here in that push-pull of Giles' dark past. I mean, when he sees Ethan for the first time and he says, Willow, Mm -hmm. get out of here, in this dad voice that's just, you do not argue with that voice. Exactly. she goes. But, yeah. oh, man, Giles. And... (laughs) (laughs) Giles in this Giles in contrast with the Giles who is so flustered and freaked out when Willow comes walking through the wall and he throws the next cards up in the air I love that moment so much so much and then because we're doing things in reverse order when uh, Buffy and Willow are sneaking into Giles's office yes and Buffy Mm -hmm. just completely just has no idea what to say and says, Miss Callender said you are a babe. <laughs> like, I know. And he just, poor Giles is just like, what? What, what are you? <laughs> a, hunk, a hunk of burning. What? And then I Some, love yeah. the look on Willow's face, the disappointed look. You're using calendar. Yes. To yes. do this to Giles. Um, it's so, so, so fun. It's it is so really fun. But good. I love how this whole episode, I mean, really is about identity. You know, because here we have Giles talking to Ethan. It's who I really am, you know, and we have everybody kind of tied up in an identity that isn't really theirs, but kind of informs who they are. You know, Um, I think Xander's, you know, um, fantasy of being a soldier, you know, being tough after having that interaction with Larry in the beginning of the episode where Buffy saves him. And then, of course, his masculinity is completely threatened by that. Um, But then later on, while he's a soldier, he beats the hell out of Larry as a pirate. You know, and he's like, that was really satisfying. Like, that, a weird that Xander, sense of closure. <laughs> right. Xander has a sense of himself as a tough guy. Like, there is that within 
Xander, you know, mm-hmm. and Buffy discovers the the real girl, you know, if you'll for lack of a yeah. better phrase, um, the real girl inside, you know, and um, and Willow discovers her power and her empowerment and the fact that she doesn't need to be hiding or encumbered by anything. She mm-hmm. is who she is and she can choose whatever she wants. And the sexy outfit is not necessarily who she is, but she's neither is she afraid of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so she has this discovery of self, you know, throughout this, this episode. And, um, and so I kind of like the way that we play with and expand upon the idea of identity being, you know, both an internal thing and also expressed externally, you know, in oh, the yeah. costumes that we put on. And Giles is wearing the exact same costume. He is fully integrated. He is both of those guys. He is Giles yes. and he is Ripper. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And I love, I mean, this is an episode that tells us what it's doing right out of mm-hmm. the gate. And it mm-hmm. does it in the best way possible, which is to have Drusilla say something bad yes. shit. You know? <laughs> You know what I miss? <laughs> you know what I miss? Leeches. Like I, I just know. I love it. But she says, "Don't worry, everything is switching outside to inside." Mm-hmm. And there are lots of ways to interpret what's going on here, you know, yeah. vis-a-vis the spell. I mean, obviously they become their costumes. Yes. But the costumes are chosen based on how they wish to be perceived. I mean, yes. and Xander Xander even calls himself out on it. You know, he chooses mm-hmm. the gun from the the costume shop and Buffy says that's not a costume and he says I'm trying to repress. Right. And, you know, like he's <laughs> So, you know, they there's definitely there's definitely something. I mean, it's it's super complicated. About yeah. who you are, who you, how you present to the world, how you, who you really are. Mm-hmm. And then sort of the shadow side of all of that as well, that Buffy, yeah. you know, Buffy's core as her, her desire to be a hyper feminine girly girl mm-hmm. is also part of what makes her so powerless. Xander's sort of recklessness is what mm-hmm. helps save the day and move them forward. I mean, ultimately, it's Willow who's calling the shots, um, literally, yeah, you know, telling him when when to use his gun and when not to. Yeah. But Xander, I mean, he's like, he's he is business. He's, mm-hmm. you know, you stay here, you go there. We're on the move. We're doing this. So there's there's a lot of identity stuff coming out to play here and it's really really fun and a lot of it is expressed so beautifully with the physicality of this episode i talked a little bit about that earlier but you know just the way that like xander when the soda machine doesn't work punches it that's right his his go-to you know like Mm -hmm. that's his physicality the perfect Oh, my God. The perfect Scooby-Doo moment of the yeah. peephole window in the library when Buffy and Willow are going to sneak into Giles's office and it's dark with the little Halloween yep. cat decoration. It's and so they're, cute. There are little faces appearing in the window and there's this delightful like tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. We're sneaking yes. around music. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. Yeah. But that physicality of like showing you know show don't tell right like right like here we go okay we're like being sneaky now um Mm -hmm. and the way buffy gestures at willow to sneak into giles's office and willow just mouths no Mm -hmm. they're so who they are in their actions um yeah 
you know, from Willow crossing her arms over her exposed midriff mm-hmm. to the wonderful moment when Xander walks through Ghost Willow. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love how that is played so much. She goes, oh, in this. I mean, it could mm-hmm. be any number of things. Discomfort, surprise. Maybe yeah. there's a little bit of pleasure there in having Xander mm-hmm. walk through her. I don't know what it's mm-hmm. like to be a ghost. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But mm-hmm. and then they both whirl around and face each other in this shit just got real kind of moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're face to face with the with the conflict and each other. And it's just it's it's beautiful. And I could go on yeah. and on and on about like how wonderful just the physicality yes. of these identities. I mean, Buffy in her in her uh, 18th century girl garb faints. And it's yeah. the first thing she does. <laughs> she <laughs> passes out, um, <laughs> which is so antithetical to to Buffy just to right. just drop out of frame. Mm-hmm. It's it's fantastic. It's yeah. Fantastic. But I think that's that's what she wants. She wants to be. A girl who could faint at stuff like that, who hasn't been yeah. through so much. Um, so I think it's, it's just, it's so, it's so fascinating the relationship between how you're dressed and present to the world and what that says about who you are, yeah, you know, and how well that reflects. Yeah, yeah. Or how you hide yeah. within those, within those representations. And I think that, you know, Willow was hiding and she decided she didn't need to hide anymore. You know, Um, which I think is really, really cool. So there's a lot of I mean, for for an episode that has that is as narratively like uneven, you know, as this (laughs) is, which is always an issue for me. Um, It has so much fantastic stuff going on, so much interesting stuff happening everywhere. You know, it's a it's a really great episode. I mean, narrative is my primary value. So that's always going to be an issue for me. But the stuff that isn't about, you know, where we've got narrative problems is really well expressed, you know, and I love that stuff from Drusilla stating the theme outside becomes inside, you know, yeah. um, it's very, very cool. So here's a question, a narrative yes. question for you. Yes. So last time with Reptile Boy, we had mm-hmm. a pretty good narrative. I mean, structurally, yes. it was it was really spot on but maybe Mm -hmm. not so great content wise yes here i think we have the reverse where structurally it's kind of meh but what we get is i mean for my money really really excellent and i yes i don't i guess my question is do you have a preference you know if narrative is your primary value (laughs) yes narrative is my primary value content is everything (laughs) <laughs> if the content is good. No, seriously. Like here here's my thing. The sole purpose of solid narrative is so that you have something upon which you can deliver the content to your audience in a way that is accessible and clear, you know? Yes. When you have really good narrative but the content is like eh, like Reptile Boy, right? Yeah. Um it Reptile Boy was fine. There was actually some good content in there. It was nowhere near the level the Halloween is at, right? Mm-hmm. Um but that like the the good narrative and the eh content raises everything up, right? Um the fantastic content with the eh narrative gets taken down a little, but could be even better. Could be amazing 
if you'd had strong narrative elements and you knew what you were doing with the narrative structure of it. So my thing is, is that there is absolutely nothing about excellent content that is mutually exclusive with strong narrative. So strong narrative is going to make meh better and mm-hmm. it's going to make excellent even better. You know, so um, so for me, since good, solid narrative is not mutually exclusive to anything, there's no (laughs) reason not to have it. You you know, everything is made better by a good, solid narrative. And I think that that's part of the reason why I feel so strongly about those narrative elements, because it it just you have something great. Why not make it better? Sure. Why not do a better job with it? You know, um, but the problem is that so many people don't understand, first of all, how simple real like narrative structure is. Once you understand it, it's simple. Everybody complicates it and they do these things like save the cat and the hero's journey and all that nonsense. Hollywood <laughs> formula. Fucking nonsense. Right. Um, it's based in principles that are real. But it also adds in a lot of stuff that is completely unnecessary and that you do not need. Um, So once you understand how narrative works, you know, you can make anything you're doing better at almost no cost, you know, like aside from your time and your energy and your, you know, your thought. Right. But I mean, no cost to your story. Your story is only going to be made better by solid narrative. So for me, here I am watching Halloween. I'm like, this is amazing. The narrative is is broken you know fine it's 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 not working great but everything we've got all the content we've got is absolutely fantastic so when it comes right down to it good content wins but i'm always going to be disappointed because good narrative could have made that content even better (laughs) i love it so yeah so that's how that works love it so we got some patriarchy we got, we got a little bit of about, patriarchy. We got we got a lot of bit of patriarchy. I mean, I didn't yeah. go I didn't go into the whole um Xander and Larry thing and Larry's disgusting, you know, sexual yeah. assault pirate. I just didn't do that right. because yeah. I mean, guys, I don't know, you know, this is this is going to come out in a couple weeks, but it's been a week for sexual assault. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just I just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so. Right. Like, let's just let's just say it's there. It's awful. It's bullshit. Everybody it's, listening to this has already had the primer in that. So let's just go gross. ahead and move it's on. It's gross. To... So moving right along. Moving right. right along. So we have we have this instance in which Buffy comes out of the patriarchy toilet stall with a bunch of patriarchy toilet paper on her shoe and says, <laughs> it's come as you aren't night. The perfect chance for a girl to get sexy and wild with no repercussions. So we were talking about this earlier, oh, that the fact yeah. that women are both expected to be beautiful and sexy and appealing and, you know, always, always fuckable. Right. Like oh, yes. you have to be all those things. You're expected yes. to be all of those things. But you can't do it while being sexy or slutty because then you're a whore right. um, and you're judged for that. So here we have um, this active, like, you know, there's no way it's mutually exclusive. No matter what, you're as a woman, you're going to get slammed. No matter what you do, you're going to get slammed. So Halloween is the one night of the year where you can dress as slutty and sexy as you want and it's okay nobody is going to judge you or call you a whore. That is what she's saying. Instead of saying, hey, the other 365 days of the year, 364 days of the year, you get called a whore for this. Maybe we should look at those days. She's like, yay, Halloween. Sex it up, you know? Um, And and honestly, like, you know, we've all been caught up in that, you know? Oh, yeah. 
But this is why we have all the sexy, you know, stupid Halloween outfits that are like sexy pirate, sexy, you know, nurse, sexy Pokemon (laughs) character, whatever. It's all of this stuff, which is so freaking ridiculous. The costumes that are available for women are just, hey, we decided as the patriarchy, we're going to give you one night a year where you don't have to conform to this double standard. So here you go. We still might rape you. I mean, please understand you know, this isn't yeah. a day where we don't have sexual assault. Let's not right. go crazy. It's just that nobody's <laughs> going to call you a whore until after we rape you. Right. So right. the whole thing And then is did you see what you were wearing? I mean, yes. really? Yes. So, so, all right. So you have this obligation to mm-hmm. be sexy. And by the way, when we say sexy here, we're talking about a very specific heterocentrist, male-centrist view of male gazy sexy. Yeah, because sexy yeah. hetero male gay is sexy. Yes, every everyone listening to this podcast, I hope knows this, but sexy is not a monolith. What is sexy mm-hmm. for one person is not for another person. There is no. We like to pretend as a culture that this is one thing, and that we yes. all agree on what sexy is. No, you do you. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows your sexuality better than you do, and you have no obligation to be sexy to anybody. That is totally right? legitimately your choice to make. You do not need to be sexy for the patriarchy, but you also don't need to be sexy for anyone in your life unless you want to be. So that's my little sexiness PSA. Well said, baby. You do not need to be patriarchy fuckable, which is the thing that we've all been chasing. That's what's on the magazines. Um, that's what everything, every beauty ideal that we've been sold, every impossible beauty idea that, ideal that we've been sold is about being fuckable to the patriarchy. And that is the first thing that goes. Fuckable to the white supremacist patriarchy. What? Because yes. all of oh, those beauty standards that. are Eurocentric. I'm not going to yes. go into that. We all have access to the same Google. Google that shit. Flips exactly. and tables. It's nuts. Exactly. But- Flips and tables. It is infuriating. Yeah. So anyway, that's the PSA. But, Go. Noel. Yes. But and mm-hmm. yes. Not but mm-hmm. and um, it's it's not explored. I would like to expand this Halloween narrative, Buffy's mm-hmm. inner narrative. I would like to expand this to open up a conversation about internalized misogyny yes. and the way that women believe many women believe that in order to be a real girl whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. that means we have to participate in performative femininity performative sexiness in this very Mm -hmm. one specific way um so i like I like this as an opportunity to discuss why this is problematic. And I Mm -hmm. like that Willow's narrative kind of starts to undermine it in that it is Buffy's remark about being sexy to the boys that inspires Willow to cover up because that is not her goal. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do feel like at the end with Willow in her in her sexy garb mm-hmm. that it is that it is when she is confident in that clothing, not because she's wearing the clothing, but because she has been herself in that. Yeah, clothing. because she doesn't need to hide any element of who she is. Yeah. Right. Th- mm-hmm. th- that is when she's noticed. That's when the I mean, the headlights shine on her and she walks right. through them and she's, you know in her power 
extremely capable, but also mm-hmm. wearing her yes. sexy outfit mm-hmm. that that she never aspired to wear. Buffy wanted right. to wear the enormous, you know, pink cupcake dress. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Willow was never like, ooh, yeah, I get to wear sexy clothes. Yeah. There was never so, anything she wanted. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, my my patriarchal moment, <laughs> one of many, um, when Xander is confronting Larry about the way he's speaking about Buffy, yeah. he says, that's my friend you're talking about. Right. And that right there. Is right. what's wrong with dudes who think they're doing the right thing. She's only yes. worth defending if she's your friend or your girlfriend or your wife or your daughter, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. That exactly. is bullshit. Her work yes. being contingent upon her relationship to you, fuck you. And we exactly. see that in the world all the time. That like, oh, yeah. we have to respect women because mothers or we have to respect women because wives and girlfriends. No. No, no, no. Women are autonomous. You respect human women beings. because human, human piece of shit. And the fact that you have to be, in some sense, owned by a man, that a man confers yeah. value on you, whether he be your husband, your brother, your father, whatever. It is only because you are someone's daughter, you are someone's wife, you are someone's mother, right? That's what gives you value. You on your own, no value at all. And that that kind of language construction you know, it reinforces that exact thing. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Whew. <laughs> I right. need some girl power. I need a girl power all chaser. All right. Let's do some girl power. But unfortunately, <laughs> like, all I have is everything Willow. Like, everything we've talked about this whole time. Yeah. Willow is absolutely the personification of girl power in this episode. And I love it. She really, really is. And she mm-hmm. is absolutely my favorite part of this episode but my favorite part within my favorite part is the entire scene the entire scene when cordelia comes into buffy's house and willow Mm -hmm. in full like get everyone on the same page mode gives her the rundown okay your name is cordelia you're not a cat you're in high school and we're your friends well sort of like it's it's so perfect (laughs) and then cordelia just looks at her like okay (laughs) yeah i know i know wonderful i love i love how quick she is to just yes oh god okay here we go (laughs) so good she's so great through the whole thing willow is wonderful and i don't know i have trouble kind of picking a favorite part in this episode because there's so much really good stuff but i think honestly at the end when Willow takes the sheet, she wakes up, she's alive, everything's set. She takes this ghost sheet and she's about to put it back on. And then she just shoves it in the garbage, yeah. you know? And also one of the things that I loved in this moment too, is that as I'm watching her like in the shot on the, um, on the porch, you know, this, this strange woman's porch who'd been attacked by little tiny demons not too yeah. long ago. Right. Um, and she has the, and she picks up the the um ghost garb and looks at it and we know she's not going to do it and i'm like does she just leave that on the porch cuz i know i remember that she abandoned it right yeah. but i didn't remember how and i'm like willow doesn't just leave that on that lady's porch to pick up as she comes <laughs> back from the hospital after being attacked by demons and then she throws it down and i look and there's a garbage can right there and i was like that's willow that's my girl. <laughs> 
<laughs> Even in, in embracing her own empowerment, she does not do it at the cost to anybody else. Like, even then, she's cleaning up after herself and throwing it in the garbage properly. And I don't know. I love that whole thing. I love she's, everything she's about it. She's the best. She is the absolute best. All right. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noelle Allowed and use the hashtag still pretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who are tossing eggs, keying cars and bobbing for apples. You know, one pathetic cry for help after another. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll down, click on the five stars. It really, really helps people find us. Yes. Um, or you can tell your friends about the show on your favorite social media platforms. Or you can cast a chaos spell on Halloween. Whatever floats your boat. It's all good. We will be back next time with Lie to Me, the seventh episode of season two. Until then, we were brought up to be proper ladies. We weren't meant to understand things. We're just meant to look pretty. And then someone nice will marry us. Possibly a baron. Baron.